Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, River Glen. Uh, so good to see you. Welcome everybody here in, in Waukesha. Welcome everybody over in Pewaukee. And uh, welcome all of you uh, watching online, uh, wherever you might be. If you're somewhere warm, uh, we're really jealous of you uh, right now. But uh, great to have you uh, with us. I want to start out with a question. Here's the, here's the question. Uh, what, what image pops into your mind when you think of, of God? What is, what is God uh, what is God like? What is your impression of God and what he thinks about the way that you're living your life, the decisions that you're making, the, the, the mess ups and, and your greatest uh, failure? What is your impression of God? A.W. Tozer said what comes into our minds when we think about God, that's the most important thing about us. I mean, it determines everything about our lives, how we feel about ourselves, how we relate to other people, how we live our lives. But um, maybe uh, somebody has told you some things about God that are untrue, or maybe you've imagined some things about God that are not accurate. And so you can have a distorted view of God. Uh, for example, uh, maybe you view God more as an angry judge, you know, and he's, he's got lightning bolts in his fist, and he's ready to zap you uh, the moment that you mess up. And if you view God that way, you tend to primarily relate to him out of fear. And you come to church out of obligation. And the gap between you and God grows because how do you get close to someone that you're afraid of? Or maybe that's not it. Maybe, maybe you view God more as a sleepy old man. You know, he worked really hard creating everything. And then on the seventh day, he rested. He went to sleep. And he's still kind of resting and sleeping. And, you know, if you view God that way, I mean, you're not going to go to him and, and talk to him about how things are going in your life because you view God as distant and absent. Or maybe for some of us, God is more of a performance-based parent. And, you know, as long as you're performing well, God's love shines down on your life. At the moment, you don't meet his standards or somebody else's standards. God withholds his love and you spend the rest of your life trying to earn his love, and it makes you joyless, or it makes you judgmental, because, you know, if you put other people down, you feel a little bit better about yourself. One more, maybe, maybe, maybe this is your picture of God, just kind of nothing, blank, darkness, because you've had a lot of pain in your life, and you're not sure that God cares. You're not even sure that God exists. All of us have some kind of an image of God, a picture of God, and it determines everything about our lives, how we feel about ourselves, how we live, and how we relate to other people. And so today we're going to look at a story uh, where Jesus gives us a clear picture of what God is really like. We started this series last week called Prodigal, taking a look, walking through the most famous story Jesus ever told. Even if you're not a Christian, you're probably familiar with this story. Many people refer to it as the parable of the prodigal son, but that's not really accurate because it's, it's, it's really a story about two sons, a, a younger son and his older brother. I think a better way to describe it would be the, the, the story of the parable of the prodigal uh, sons. Both sons get lost. Uh, the younger son gets lost in the far country. The older son gets lost at home. Uh, last week, Don started, started us out focusing on the younger son Next week, we're going to focus on the older brother. Today, we're going to focus at the father in this story who represents God. Jesus paints a clear picture of what God is really like. And 
this picture of God can change everything about your uh, life. And I believe the father is really the main character in this story. You know, we uh, call it, uh, we may call it the story of the prodigal son, but I think it's better called uh, the story of the prodigal father. Do you, do you know the word prodigal can have two different meanings? It can be positive, it can be negative, it can mean spending money recklessly or giving on a lavish, extravagant scale. I, I've had a tendency, we have a tendency, I think, to focus on the younger son and how he spent recklessly, but really, I think, the main point of the story is the way the father gave lavishly, extravagantly. It's the story of the prodigal father. Now, I know many of you have heard this story uh, before, some of you many times uh, before, but I want to invite you, I want to challenge you to really put yourself in this story, enter it, and experience it, because it can open your eyes to see God in a new way that can change everything about your life. Uh, Jesus begins the story in verse 11 of uh, Luke chapter 15. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Look, who's the first character that we get introduced to? It's the man. It's the father, because he's the main character in the story. This father has two sons. The younger son makes this rude, insulting, ridiculous request. He tells, he tells his dad, I want my inheritance now. I can't wait for you to die, which is like telling your dad, I wish you were dead. I mean, you know, those of you that are parents, can you imagine a child asking you this? It must have broken the heart of the uh, father. But the dad, the father, does something that no father would do. And he gives the inheritance to his younger uh, son. He humiliates himself. The father humiliates himself in the eyes of the community uh, by taking such a huge demotion for a son who just said, Dad, I wish you were uh, dead. Then it says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, when the Bible uses the phrase wild living, it is a, a combination of New Year's Eve and spring break and frat parties and sexual pursuits and uh, binge drinking and so on. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that wild living isn't fun. I'm not going to, you know, stand up here and tell you that sin isn't uh, fun. Sin can be fun. Uh, wild living can be fun. If it's not fun, you're probably not doing it right, okay? But I will tell you this. The fun won't last. Wild living can be fun, but the, fun, the fun's not going to last. And that's exactly what happens in this story. The younger son blew the entire estate in the far country. The money runs out. The parties end. The friends desert him. And he's all alone and feels lonely. And then a severe famine uh, hits. Jesus says after he had uh, spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything to eat. This young Jewish son goes to work on a pig farm, the lowest job in all of Israel, feeding 
pigs. I tried to think of a modern equivalent. Here's what I came up with. Imagine that you're a Packer fan, okay? You're like a diehard, lifelong Packer fan. Your family's got these season tickets that they've passed down from generation to generation, and you've never missed a game. I mean, you were born on a Sunday um, in the fall, and you remember watching the game in the hospital, okay? You never missed a game. Diehard Packer fan. Imagine forcing a diehard lifelong Packer fan to work at Soldier Field, cleaning up after Bear fans. Okay, that's, that's bad. That's bad. Some of you are like, Ben, that is rock bottom. But that is nothing. I mean, that's nowhere near what happens um, in this uh, story. Remember, this, this isn't a modern, you know, free range, you know, clean, nice Wisconsin farm. This is a first century pig pen, pig farm. And you take care of pigs the same way a shepherd would take care of sheep. You live with them. You feed them. You, you uh, protect them. You shepherd them 24-7. And there's no FDA cleanliness guidelines to ad- adhere to. And you, I mean, you are up to your ankles in mud and manure in scorching 100-degree heat. The stench at times, it makes you gag. You mean you're afraid you're going to pass out. I mean, it is disgusting. Enter that. Imagine that. And you can't even bathe at night. I mean, you're caked with mud and manure. And it's not like they provide shower facilities. The rain is your shower. But unfortunately, a severe famine has hit uh, the land. It gets so bad, the younger son reaches a turning point. Look at what it says. When he came to his senses, he begins to accept this reality of his situation that he's created. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And he just wants a meal so that he doesn't die. And he comes up with this plan in his head. He's going to go home, ask his dad to hire him as a servant. I want you to notice this phrase, hired servants, not a household servant. Household servants lived on the estate and were like second family. Hired servants were underneath the household servants, and they did a menial task. I mean, they were just day-to-day, hour-to-hour labor. And so he knows he's not going to be a son. He just wants to be the lowest servant. And so he starts to head home, feeling ashamed, caked with mud and manure, smelling like a pig pen. And it says, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him, and he was filled with blank. And how you fill in that blank says more about your picture of God and your relationship with God than anything else. How do you fill in that blank? You know, some of you might fill it in and say the father was filled with uh, anger. You know, the father could have erupted with, with anger. What happened to my money? You blew my wealth that I, that I worked so hard for? I mean, most fathers would be, be filled with rage. Or maybe you'd say the father was filled with uh, apathy or indifference. I don't even care about this son anymore. Or maybe you'd say the father was filled with embarrassment because you're never going to be good enough. But not this father because this father wanted a relationship with his younger son. Jesus says uh, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. Notice how he uh, saw the son while he was still a long way off because he's been looking for him every single day. Picture him pacing back and forth on the porch, waiting with an aching heart for his uh, son. And his heart just erupts 
with affection and compassion and empathy when he sees his son uh, approaching. Look at the rest of the verse. It says he ran uh, to his son. Here's something interesting. I mean, there's some things that dads won't do. You know, you can probably think of some things when you were growing up that your dad uh, didn't do. I could think of some things my dad uh, wouldn't do. Uh, my dad wouldn't buy a Ford. Yeah, my dad was a Chevy guy, and uh, he, he never bought a Ford. And uh, my dad, uh, you know, my dad wouldn't play uh, spelling games like Scrabble. He, he wasn't a very good speller. You couldn't get him to play uh, Scrabble. I mean, there's certain things dads won't do. And no Middle Eastern father in the ancient world would run because they wore these robes, these long robes that would drape behind them, and they would walk in a dignified way to run. They'd have to hike up that robe and expose their naked legs and look like they're wearing a diaper, and that would humiliate them. But that's what this father does. He runs to his son because he can't stop thinking about him. In the original language, the word is, for run is foot race. And he runs to his son because he wants to get there before the community uh, gets to him and cuts him off for dishonoring uh, his his, his father. The father wants to cover his shame and protect him and welcome him home. And he, he not only runs, I mean, he expresses deep affection for his son. Remember, his son hasn't had a bath in a long time. He's caked with mud and manure. He smells like a pig farm. But the father doesn't give him like a little, you know, pat on the back <laughs> to welcome him home. He gives him a full bear hug and he starts kissing him. He can taste the pig pen. He enters the humiliation and shame of his son, even though it was all the son's choice. I love this picture of God running. Here's what it tells us about God. God is not running away from you today. God is running toward you. God always runs toward hurting, uh, hopeless, lost people. might not be our natural inclination to run toward people that are lost and, and hurting, or different. We might want to run away from them, but not God. God says, I'm going to run toward lost people. There's nothing that matters more to me on this earth. See, the real point of this story is not just to uh, come home like the younger son. And it's not just to avoid being like the older uh, brother. The point is that we need to become like the father. We need to develop the heart of the father and run toward the lost and hurting and hopeless people. You can see the, the heart of this father in the way that he receives his, his son. The father uh, starts hugging him and kissing him. And the son is just shaking his head. And he starts reciting this speech he, he prepared, insisting, Father, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not worthy to be your son. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be your, your child anymore. And the dad won't even listen to it. He cuts him off and he shouts to his servants and says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And the son's head must be spinning. You know, the robe, the ring, the sandals for me? Because each of these gifts, gifts uh, represented uh, the father's love and his new identity and conveyed powerful meaning in that ancient culture. The robe symbolizes rest. You know, I love how the father didn't say, hey, uh, bring the bathrobe. Or, you know, just bring, bring any robe. Bring an old robe. No, no, no. He says, look at this, bring the best robe. The best robe would be the father's 
robe. He says, he says, he says here's, the, here's the best robe. You can relax. You don't have to run. You don't have to prove anything. You're, you're at home. You don't have to repay me. Uh, you, you, you don't have to earn my love. You, you can rest. The robe represents rest. And then the ring represents security. Throughout history, if you stood in the presence of a king, you, you, you'd kiss the ring. The ring represented power and authority. Presenting a ring to someone like this shows that you trust this person with power and authority. The father is transferring his power and authority to his younger son. Think about this. He gives this ring to his son who blew his estate on parties and prostitutes and ended up broke. And now the younger son receives the father's identity and the family credit cards, uh, so to speak. And finally, the sandals symbolize acceptance. In the ancient world, the only people who wore shoes in the home were the, were the homeowners. The servants went barefoot. I picture this younger son returning home broke and shoeless, not looking like a son, looking more like a servant. And so the father gives him the sandals and says, welcome home. You're not a servant. You're not a hired hand. You're my son whom I love. That's who you are. It's as if the father tells the son, don't tell me you're not worthy to be my son. You've got the ring. You've got the robe. You've got the sandals to prove to the world that I love you and you're my son. And here's what God says to you and me. Don't tell me you're not worthy to be called my son or my daughter. There's a, there's a, there's a bloodstained cross. And an empty tomb to prove to the world that you're my child whom I love. And I want you to know when you come home uh, to Jesus, he welcomes you with open arms into the family of God. And you receive a new set of clothes as a son or daughter. You receive a new identity. Galatians chapter 3 puts it this way. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Notice that phrase, clothe yourself with Christ. You've got the robe. You've got the ring. You've got the, the, the sandals. If you've been baptized into Christ, you've been clothed with Christ. It's your new identity. Let me take just a few seconds to tell you what Scripture says about who you are if you're in Christ. Check this out. You're his child, his workmanship. You're his friend, his witness, his vessel, his instrument, you, you are chosen, forgiven, adopted. You're complete and loved eternally. You are a light. You're constantly on his mind. You're at peace. God designed, lavishly loved, accepted. You are his as, as who you are. After uh, clothing his son and giving him a, a new identity, uh, the, the father says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The father throws this over-the-top party with the most expensive meat in the ancient world. Because when something valuable is lost and then is found, what do you do? You celebrate, right? You throw a party. And in many ways, baptism is just like this party. Baptism celebrates when a lost son or a lost daughter comes home to God today. And I really believe that God is, is calling uh, many of you to boldly and courageously uh, make the step, take the step of getting baptized and being clothed with Christ. Just like the father threw a party to welcome home 
uh, the younger son, we decided we think the best way to end this series on the prodigal is to invite you to a, to a baptism party. And just like when Jesus was baptized, uh, God the Father spoke words of affirmation. You will hear those same words of affirmation from your, fa- from your heavenly Father. This is my son. Uh, this is my daughter whom I love with him, with her. I am well pleased. And so we invite you to get baptized in, in two weeks on Easter weekend. There's, there's really no better day, I think, to get baptized than Easter. I mean, from now on, every Easter, you'll remember the greatest decision that you ever made uh, to, to come home to God. We have everything that you need at, at both campuses. If you have any questions, stop at the Connect wall in the lobby. You can, you can go ahead and sign up right now using that QR code on the chair back in front of you. If you're watching online, you can use the digital uh, welcome card. We'd love to celebrate your baptism. Now, I know some of you have already done this. We've, you've already gotten baptized and, and had your welcome party. But remember, the point of this parable is, is not just to come home like the younger son. It's not just to avoid being like the older brother. The point is really to become like the father. You, you want to know what spiritual maturity looks like? It, it, it's not just when you keep the father's rules. It's when you develop the heart of the father and you run after people who are lost, hurting, and hopeless, and you help them come home. And celebrate new life. In a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate Easter. And this might be the best opportunity of the entire year for you to invite somebody to come with you, to, who, somebody who needs to hear the message of, of Jesus. Who are you running after? Who are you praying for? Sometimes we ask it this way. Who's your one? Who's your one? All of us should have at least one person that we're praying for and helping to find their way back home. The goal of the story is to become like the father. Somebody recommended a book to me that, that uh, helped me to see God this uh, way. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. But it's not really about the biblical story. It's about a painting by Rembrandt. In 1635, when he was 30 years old, Rembrandt uh, made this painting called The Prodigal Son in the Harlot's House. It's actually a, uh, a self-portrait of uh, Rembrandt right here. As a young man, he had many of the same qualities of the younger son, bragged about you know, wild living, drinking, excessive spending. He's lifting a, a glass of wine with one hand. The other hand, he's got in the lower back of his girl. But the year he made this painting, Rembrandt had a, a son who died. And then four years later, a daughter who died. Then two years later, his wife died, leaving him with just one family uh, member, a nine-month-old uh, son. Rembrandt had uh, blown through all his money. He had gra- gained great wealth and popularity, but he lost it all. He lost his money. He lost his family. He lost his dignity. He Even toward the end of his life, he lost his eyesight. And, but 35 years later, he painted another picture called The Return of the uh, prodigal. He, he was almost blind. He could only see a few inches, but many experts call it his great, the greatest work of his life. I actually have a copy of it here that I want to uh, show you. Uh, this is a, a copy. The original is uh, much, much bigger and is just 
uh, magnificent. But I want you to notice, in the first painting, Rembrandt focused on the, the younger son. But in the second painting, he puts the focus on the father. The father here is really the central focus of his second uh, painting because he wants us to put ourselves in the story and really think about God's love for us. Something unusual about this painting is that the father is really the central figure, but he's not in the middle. He's off to the side. Rembrandt wanted to show the contrast between the younger son and the older brother and how the father sides with the younger son, not the older brother. We're going to talk about the older brother um, next week. But notice this younger son kneeling in repentance before the father. I mean, he is at the end of his rope. He knows that he has no hope apart from the father. I mean, his robe is tattered. He only has one uh, shoe. He's just hanging. He's just hanging there by a, a thread. But I want you to notice... I want to point out a couple ways that Rembrandt painted himself into this picture. First, notice the hands of the father. If you look really closely, you'll notice that the right hand of the father is slightly smaller than the left hand. Probably for many of us, the right hand is the dominant hand, the stronger hand. But the father, his right hand, is slightly smaller, which shows tenderness. The strength of the father is his tenderness. And, but Rembrandt painted his own hands into the, the painting. Uh, but not just his, his hands. Rembrandt also painted his eyes in, into the painting. If you look closely at the eyes of the father, the father in this painting is, is, is blind. Rembrandt was almost blind when he made this uh, painting. And it represents how the father is blind to the son's past. He can only see the future. He can only see what is ahead of him. And Rembrandt got this right when he portrayed himself in the place of the father in this picture. It's not enough just to, you know, come home like the younger son. It's not enough to avoid being like the older brother. The goal of following Jesus is to become like the father. You want to know what God's will is for your life? You've got your hand on someone's back helping them find their way home. And your eyes are blind to their past. You can only see what lies ahead for them. You become like the Father. And you go on a rescue mission and you find people who are far from God and you do whatever it takes to help them come home to God. So I want to challenge you. Who are you going to bring this Easter? Who do you know that really needs to hear the message of God's love. It's our job to be the, the hands and the feet of Jesus and the eyes of God to see who people really are. We're going to close with a, a song that is really like a prayer. In fact, this song is going to be our, our, not just our closing song, it's going to be our closing prayer. Our, our band is going to share it with us. The first verse is the younger son Praying to, the, praying to his father. And the second verse is the father talking back to the son. I, I, I want you to listen and hear God speak to you.